there, friends. It's your old pal, Cowboy Kevin Mann. Thanks for listening to this very, very special and rather unique episode of the Attitude Era podcast. Now, in case you didn't hear us harping on about it a million, billion times in the last couple of episodes, we did a live show very recently as part of the London Podcast Festival. I'm very, very happy to be a part of that festival and for the first time ever for me, Adam and Billy, to be on the stage talking about the Attitude Era live in front of an audience. We had a great crowd at the Podcast Festival. I want to say thank you to everyone who made the journey out to London to come and see us live in our first ever live show. Guys, thank you so much for the support. It was a massive success, as well as with How To Wrestling, also the live show on that day. So thank you everyone who supported us, either by coming to the show or by tweeting us well wishes and support. It was all very much well appreciated. For those of you who weren't able to come, here is the live show in its entirety. Now, excuse our inherent showmanship, but there may be one or two little moments where we did something visual on stage that mightn't translate. For instance, I did a couple of crotch chops at one point and also got up to stand and look at the monitor in a weird way akin to how they look at monitors in WWE today. Hopefully that won't detract from your enjoyment, but if there's anything that doesn't make sense, let me know in the comments and I'll clear that up for you. By the way, this wouldn't have been possible if it hadn't been for the support of our amazing patrons over on patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. If you want to get access to the Smackdown crawl where me and Adam are reviewing every single episode of Smackdown ever starting right at the start, you got to become a $5 backer over on patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. A variety of rewards and tiers to suit any backer's needs. There's a new episode of the Smackdown crawl up right now. You get access to all 18 simply by being a $5 backer and you can drop out at any time. Thanks for the support. Thanks for the well wishes. I hope you enjoy the first ever and hopefully not the last live edition of the Attitude Era podcast. First ever Attitude Era podcast live show. There's a lot of there's a lot of bass in the room. I like that. That's good. You made the whole room shake when you said that. Okay, um, we're going to be talking today about uh, one of the biggest piece of shit documentaries WWE's ever made. Their review of the Attitude Era. So if you are looking for something else other than a review of a review of the Attitude Era, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> I cannot do this on my own. I'm joined by my cohorts, my comrades, and my colleagues. First, my good friend, Mr. Adam Bibolo. Yeah. How you doing, huh? Uh, good to see you. Have a seat there, my friend. Thank you, Have my a friend. seat. Uh, Adam, how you doing, huh? I'm all right. I'm. I'm a little annoyed. I mean, the new Bojack came out yesterday, and apparently we couldn't switch this around, so we've got to do this now, I guess. You've got but, commitments. Like, yeah. Come on, we've got the Attitude Era attire, as you can see. Representing. Uh, so Kevin here is uh, Mick Foley, WrestleMania 2000, where's my check? <laughs> Adam Bibolo is fun Uncle Steve Austin tonight. The nice little smart cardigan. You know, I'm not going to have too many beers tonight. <laughs> Still got to drive. OK, well, while you're sitting there brewing, huh? Mm. He likes coffee, innit? Like, so fuck off. <laughs> 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 um, our 
next guest on Quest to be the baddest man on the planet, Mr. Billy Kimo! <laughs> struggling in the back for like a half hour beforehand like kept putting it on being too hot and taking it off like trying to have a cup of water and realizing it doesn't have mouth holes yeah. <laughs> can't wear your glasses at the same time no right? i was hoping to wear it underneath but i was only gonna end badly <laughs> this is all we've talked about for the last 15 minutes by the way is yeah. whether or not billy should wear the mask <laughs> um okay we're gonna start things off with a disclaimer um i think because I have the ability of basic audio editing that I have maybe passed off that the three of us, particularly Billy, can actually speak the English language. Uh, I say this not as a meanie, but you literally said, oh, you're going to have to tell everyone that I can't speak. <laughs> so, so much editing and hard work goes into the show. That's all done by Kevin. Uh, I found out myself since starting the Squirmcast. I have no grasp of the English language. <laughs> the words are there. Yeah. But not usually in like the right order. Yeah. It's kind of like a fun puzzle. It's like <laughs> something like that. Um, so yes, today we're going to be doing uh, the Attitude Era documentary. Um, had you guys heard of this one before? For today, I mean, I know that this is one that came out around the same time as 2K13, or even WWE13 at the time. This is part of their big Attitude Era kind of yeah. relaunch and rebranding. I believe that when we first started hanging out and we were really into wrestling and nostalgia and everything, this DVD came out and we watched it and we were like, oh, the Attitude Era is a bloody good time, isn't it fun? <laughs> like, WWE have really portrayed that accurately and we loved it and we had fun. And then I watched it for the first time again last week and. <laughs> it's almost as if watching every single Attitude Era pay-per-view and now every single episode of SmackDown has somehow changed your perception. I'm not saying we're bigger experts on the Attitude Era than the WWE, but I think our review's a little more faithful, maybe. Mate, I don't see them at the London Podcast Festival, do you? So, <laughs> you know. A live, alive show! A live, alive show singing Cockles and Muscles Bono episode. Um, I have got for you all here today the uh, official synopsis for this piece of crap, which I'm going to read out for you now. Ahem. Bust out your Austin 316 shirt. Bam. Strike a five-second pose. Wham. <laughs> Heat up a delicious slice of pie and count down to Y2J all over again with the Attitude Era. Go back to the old days of debauchery when radical anti-heroes ditched saying their prayers and taking their vitamins for opening up a can of whoop-ass and laying the smack down when rebels ruled the airwaves and PG stood for puppies and grapefruits. <laughs> <laughs> We often talk about this documentary in that they're trying to reframe things. And when we start off this documentary, you are hit with one thing. It goes, are you ready? 
Implying that once again the added chair is about uh, DX. Uh, greatly overemphasizing. There they are now, all of them. Except China is not officially recognized, I think, anymore to be part of DX. I mean, I like DX and the Attitude Era. How about you boys? Yeah, the individual parts I enjoyed, other individual parts not so much. Favorite DX moment? It's got to be cockpit-a, right? <laughs> it shouldn't be a struggle to remember their iconic moment, but <laughs> how about you? What's your favourite DX moment? Uh, probably all of DX giving Triple H some wedding gifts from our recent look <laughs> at SmackDown. Iron! <laughs> That's comedy gold right Those there. guys are the best, like. Uh, so, yeah, I wonder if they're going to overstate DX's importance throughout this documentary. I don't think so. <laughs> Just want to say as well, so we did, for the Attitude Era, when we reviewed it, 36 pay-per-views, right? Yeah. Each episode somewhere between 90 minutes and two hours. So let's say... <laughs> said three hours Sometimes. So roughly about 100 hours or so to cover the Attitude Era, start to finish, make sure you get all the details right. How long's the, uh, the runtime on the WWE? Oh, 56 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure they've got everything in there, though. Mate, right, so. Basically, the Attitude Era is just like hundreds of hours of faff. <laughs> they've just paired off here. When I got this DVD and I put it in, because there was two discs, I thought, oh, the other part is on the other discs. <laughs> the bit where they actually talk about it. Uh, alas, not. Um, I should probably explain. We're going to go through this documentary, and then we're going to get into some Q&A towards the end. So if you've got questions and stuff like that, start thinking about them now so you don't embarrass yourselves later, OK? We get a very potted history of wrestling. This is great. It's, it's wrestling history for idiots or people who don't want to acknowledge anything that actually happened in wrestling. <laughs> Basically, wrestling in the 1970s was Madison Square Garden. <laughs> How did they all fit in there? <laughs> like, did like the NWA lads kind of like wrestle in the backyard, like, or in that special place where they had the lion's den? <laughs> the 80s was WrestleMania. That's fine. And then the early 90s, according to this documentary, was when the roller coaster, the roller coaster took its first downward spiral. So, pretty much wrestling up until the early 90s, and the new generation fucked it all up. <laughs> it was just getting better and better and better and better and better. Business doesn't work like that usually, does it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, then we had the Vincent McKenney McMahon steroid scandal. Yeah, and, uh, that's in the first two minutes of this documentary, I'll yeah. say. They go straight into the steroid scandal here. So, they were accusing Vince McMahon of supplying steroids mm. to his performers which has obviously, in their mind, is kind of like, oh, he was kicked, he was down, they put all these false accusations against Vince McMahon, and then he decided, I know, attitude error, easy. <laughs> that would sort that out. But when, they, when the narrator says that he was acquitted, he says it with such venom. He's like, <laughs> and Vince McMahon was acquitted. Have you uh, ever heard the thing that Stephanie McMahon did at the 9-11 tribute? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, in, the in <laughs> Stephanie McMahon's 9-11 tribute, she talked about the Vince McMahon steroid scandal, as if it's, like, I'm all for false equivalences. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, they're not the same, like, at all. Not in the same ballpark. Like, an overzealous investigator is not the same as what happened uh, on, the 9th of, uh, on the 9th of November. Sorry, 9-11. <laughs> they refer to WWE as being a cyclical beast. It goes down in popularity and then it gets super popular. Is that true? No. <laughs> because when was the last time it was super popular? Oh, right? Yes. Yeah, Look at all these people here. <laughs> these WWE maniacs. 
they're not here to talk about current wrestling. They're here to talk about the good old days, Kevin. Like, I don't think anyone even here watches normal wrestling, do you? Like, <laughs> maybe they mean it's like a sick little beast in that they're they're turning around and going back and looking at the old shit instead. <laughs> they prefer it, like. I will say though, it's language like that that really sticks out to me in these documentaries because the WWE official documentaries used to be really low quality and bad. Then they changed production team and it's a little bit better nowadays, but then it just does something every now and then that's a little bit off. And you'll be like, well, why did you keep that clip in when you could have easily got rid of it? I, a bit self-indulgent, forgive me, but I have actually brought a clip with us, Ash, if you could line it up for us, of Triple H from Thy Kingdom Come. Just one line, I just want you to listen to this and think someone looked at that and thought, let's leave that in. <laughs> oh boy. In, you know, in the famous Vince quote, you're gonna have to learn to eat like the taste of it. And you're gonna have to learn, you're gonna have to learn to eat plates and plates and plates You're not gonna like it. But you're gonna have to learn to like the taste of it. <laughs> The official WWE documentary. That's so Tim and Eric. It is, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. so Tim plates and Eric. And plates. Plates. I don't want to go to his house for dinner. He's going to say shit. <laughs> um, the main crutch, the kind of uh, load-bearing interviewee in this entire documentary is clean and sober, here to make amends and put things right. The road dog Jesse James is out in front here. Road dog Jesse James is basically kind of like the WWE's archivist who has collected yeah. all the information from WWE and can only help but look back at how brilliant it all was. He said that WWE just happened to get caught up in a cultural revolution, and that's all the Attitude Era was. It's <laughs> as simple as that. As simple as that. <laughs> well, Humble. that's been our review of the Attitude Era. <laughs> cultural revolution, easy. We should have saved ourselves a couple of hundred hours. Right? You know? <laughs> the story of the Attitude Era was, in their mind, that they just kind of became successful. And I find it quite strange, this documentary, and generally speaking with WWE, that they're okay like poking fun at stuff from the new generation. Like if anyone's at the how-to show, they love to make fun of the stuff from like, you know, 95 and around the time when there's lots of goofy stuff. But they never seem to like acknowledge or own that it was really struggling at points. Like mm. really, really struggling. You know, 1998 in January, they were gonna get kicked off of USA Network. Mm. Cancelled. And that's like after a year of being caught up in a cultural revolution. So, I mean, <laughs> you know? More of themselves are being put into their characters. That's a kind of a, a note that they hit on early. Uh, you know, Vince McMahon's attitude promo is basically, in their mind, kind of stirs everyone up to start using more of themselves in their characters. Are there any wrestlers from the Attitude Era who you could think did that effectively? Like they got a bit of themselves and they, you know, turned up the volume and made themselves a superstar. Most popular people in the Attitude Era, I'd say. Stone Cold, definitely. Yeah. The Rock, the definitely. Rock. Triple H, definitely. Yeah. He's a prick. Foley. Mankind, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mankind, though, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mick, yeah, all of them. That, that's the reason why they were so popular, is because they were doing actual characters they could relate to. Had you heard Vince's Attitude promo before? Uh, I have. Uh, I can't remember where, but I have seen that before. And that was one of the things that kept annoying me about this is we have Vince saying, you know, we're evolving with the time, with popular culture. Then they need Pat Patterson to tell us the same thing five more times. <laughs> <laughs> Farouk's going to tell us three times and Road Dog's going to tell us twice. <laughs> We get it. <laughs> We're not stupid. I think it's funny as well when they're kind of like, yeah, we just decided you know, that you know, we wanted to be more like everyone else and kind of you know, just talk at face value with you. If you actually watch that Vince McMahon attitude promo, it is the most garbled, like, 
inhuman speech ever. He uses the word extemporaneous <laughs> and passe, yeah. antiquated. What? He comes across so bad because he's really like, it's almost like he's thinking, we've had this fucking brilliant idea called the Ashes. <laughs> you're not going to believe it's better than just good guys versus bad guys. Like, he's, he is fucking loving himself in that promo. I think it's very wrong to say that Vince McMahon kind of came up with that idea because if you listen to them, it's the click. Uh, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, mm. Diesel, uh, Justin Incredible, who claims he was in the click. He's the only one who can, <laughs> sure he's he the only one who can confirm or deny that. Um, but they're all the ones who said that we were pulling over Vince McMahon and going, here, old man, we need to be edgy. Let us be, let's just use naughty words and be rude big boys. Like, I mean, but I don't know. They don't necessarily owned it or not. Uh, WCW and the WWF Monday Night War was brought up ever so briefly in this. The tiniest amount. Yeah. They barely go into it. <laughs> Jim Ross says, when there was that Monday Night War, it was decimation for the fans. What the fuck? What does that mean? It's like we've got a firing squad. <laughs> <laughs> I know, let's make wrestling really popular and decimate the fans. Yeah. <laughs> I think the most important thing to always bear in mind about the Attitude Era, and it's the reason why, if you can say cyclical in terms of, yeah, it gets a bit more popular and then it gets a little bit less popular, but it's never gone as popular as that point in time. And it's no more sort of a cultural revolution. The fact was, there was another wrestling company incompetent as it was, that was lighting a fire under their butts and making yeah. them kind of, uh, let me out a bit of PG there, butts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it made them be better. And they don't seem to want to own that either. They say in the documentary, WCW won the war for several weeks. <laughs> 84 yeah. in a row! <laughs> 84. Big Big Show does put it over a little. He just goes, it was simply better for a while. <laughs> Sorry, what? Simply better for a while. Is he vaping while he's saying <laughs> that? Or like? I was going to point out, like, this is such like, we're out of our element totally here because generally speaking, when we record podcasts, we are all in our pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> Except for this guy over here. Boo. Joe does, when we do how to, me and Joe do it in our pajamas. Billy comes over his pajamas. What's the problem? I get I out of my jeans and of put on pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> you bring pajamas to the recording. <laughs> um, but Billy, Billy doesn't uh, vape during our podcasting, which is something I've had to have words with him about as well. Yeah, I, if you've listened to our commentary track for Ready to Rumble. I am vaping through the whole thing. He's vaping like Big Show at a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It's amazing, like. Um, so they say that there was more realism, less outrageous characters. I think that's true for the main event, guys, maybe, but... Mm. Sure. Uh, well, not even still. Wouldn't fucking Steve Austin be crucified? Yeah, the Lord of Darkness himself, the Undertaker. Satan, like. you know, he was basically being Satan. Mm. Uh, there was abductions. There were job squads, there were the oddities. There were ceremonial spikes that were used for embalming, like, yeah. as you do in wrestling. Could you use a crucifix <laughs> in a similar manner? So happy you brought up the cruise. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like, I'm just smiling right now. <laughs> I like thinking about the cruisex. But like, I mean, yeah, there was a, an element of realism to it. But like, I'm pretty sure. Like, if I took Joe now from how to wrestling, we went back and we watched some Attitude stuff. She'd think it'd be mad as a bag of spiders. Sure. Yeah, of course. Because it is. It's, I, I don't know. Is it less realistic than it is now? 
No, it's far, it's far more realistic. Back in the Outchard era, if someone was backstage, it was like, oh, look, there's a locker, there's a door, they must be backstage. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like, oh, there's a poster for the new WWE Surf's Up 2 DVD and a red lamp. Like, I so, guess sorry, guys, I just want to uh, watch the screen for a moment, if you don't mind. <laughs> 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 That's why they won the Monday Night Wars. They got people watching the screen in a weird way. They couldn't change the channel, like, you know. Road Dog talks about the importance of entrances. He would, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and, their, and their importance. Favorite entrance of the Attitude Era, Billy? Uh, the Brood in that one episode of SmackDown we watched where it was really shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adam, your favorite entrance? I'll give an actual answer, Kane. Like, oh. obviously, obviously Kane. Like, it's fire, red lights, Ooh, big scary man. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Wow! Brilliant. <laughs> I did like the wow part of Wario. My favorite entrance is gonna be a bit of an obscure one. It's gotta be like the corporate ministry. Yeah, okay. It's like the comments like, and here's oh my god. Like when they were really big, it's oh here's Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon on the Undertaker, on Triple H, on Chan and Beast and Bossman and Midian and Viscera and Farouk and Bradshaw and Rodney and Pete Gas and the other one. <laughs> It's great. It's like a fucking procession coming out. I love it. There's a bit of like a random mismatch of uh, tag teams, they were saying. Like, you know, they're talking about some really like obscure ones. Um, like, they, Rikishi, he's got a bit of an issue with Too Cool, we've always alluded he's to. He's very yeah. humble. He's very humble <laughs> taking so. credit for the entirety of Too Cool, isn't he? <laughs> very humble. In his words, I was thrown together with these two guys who simply couldn't dance. <laughs> Wow, that's harsh. Bet they go to their son's wedding though, don't they? So. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bad man, he told you. <laughs> He's making his own rules, bad oh. dudes, bad jewels. Um, the that right one. there is the difference between how to wrestling and Attitude Era podcast. Because <laughs> on this show, you always make those jokes about wrestlers' family. <laughs> that always elicits it. Oh, normally at Jerry Lawler. Well, we got it in How To Before when he pointed at the screen and said, his dad's a racist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, who's his dad? He didn't even say who his dad was. That bloke there who you don't know, his dad who you also don't know, he's a racist. <laughs> Look, How To Wrestling is about education. If that includes pointing out whose dads are racist, <laughs> then I'm doing my job. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, we did get one of my favorite promos of the Attitude Era that they chucked in here, just kind of for no reason. The uh, Try Lace in My Boots promo. Yeah. All the stars of the Attitude Era, Bret Hart, Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> Mark Barrow. I was not another <laughs> I did loads of boxing like a big brave man, and I did it for ages. And... Try Lace in his boots. Eh? <laughs> Do you know Mark Merrill keeps like trolling us on Twitter and stuff like that? Like, no. How are you waiting until we're on stage to tell me? This? <laughs> I figured they'd like it. Like. <laughs> Explain. I'm like every time if people keep sending like anytime we do like a video about Mark Merrill running them down on the podcast, everyone always sends it to him, and he, <laughs> and he always retweets it with like a winky face or a little heart <laughs> or something like that. Obviously, doesn't listen to it. He's too nice, I mm. think. <laughs> All the horrible wrestlers that are really nasty people that we've made fun of, and they don't find out about it. Mark Miro, who's a lovely guy that tours schools in America to talk about bullying, <laughs> and then he hears a clip where we're like, he's got no talent, no one likes him. <laughs> he smells, he should go home. 
I mean, I, I, I feel bad that he's seen that now. Yeah, but I would objectively like for Marmero to sit down and watch his matches and then come back at us with some anything about like. You've got a point. <laughs> just, he should apologise. <laughs> Line of the documentary: More so than being athletes, they were entertainers. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone ever remember that week in 2009 where they stopped saying sports entertainment and started just saying entertainment? Did oh. they really? Yeah, it was only on ECW. They gave it a bit, they tested the water. They dipped their toes in the cesspool that was there and they were like, here comes Christian, one of the greatest entertainers of all time. <laughs> Really? Oh, yes. He's going to do a number for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Bruce Forsyth. You can sing, you can dance, you can do the prettier, you know? Do a tight five. <laughs> they seemed a bit confused about DX in the documentary because they were talking about like, how beloved they were, how relatable they were, how everyone loved to see DX do their thing. And then they showed them, like, beaten down Terry Funk, like, please, no more! Yeah. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> My kids won't give me another kidney stop. The bruise he had, you see? Oh, awful. I mean, I was just wondering, like, weren't the X-Men to be goodies or baddies in, like, 98 and stuff? Just pricks, weren't they? <laughs> like, you don't have to be good or bad, you're just being a prick. Well, I mean, we can think about them, about how they... Simultaneously, it's weird, they, they kind of shift here a little bit. They say that DX started the war, but also won the war yeah. by getting on a tank. <laughs> not a tank. It's, it's a, not a tank, it's a though, Jeep is it? It's a fucking Jeep. With a pipe in the back. <laughs> it's meant to be a turret. Um, yeah, they say that <laughs> Road Dog's specific quote is, when they're looking at the, the, the Jeep, the tank, if you will, Road Dog just goes, that was the Monday Night Wars for you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. That's how it all began. <laughs> like, and ended. That, that was the beginning. And then later on, like, and that was what sealed the beginning of the end of the Monday Night War. <laughs> so it was a pretty short war, all told, like a five minute segment. You kind of want to sit down with Road Dog and be like, is it future, is it past? Like, you know, kind of. <laughs> no, you we know. said we weren't going to do Twin Peaks jokes. It's not fair on that. <laughs> nah. It's okay. So, um, yeah, so they were on their Jeep, and that's kind of how they make it, that was DX's kind of fun moment. They did show some of the other ones, like they showed them on the airfields. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they didn't show them in the cockpit. No. They showed really. them in the CNN centre with all the cops showing up. Being asked to leave. Uh, and then they did. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't show my favourite DX moments when they walked around the streets of New York City and Road Dog kept making racist comments to taxi drivers. That's a good one. Or when they went around, um, was it Philly? And they just kept finding as many different homeless people as they could so they could do a, a long, episode-long sketch about homeless people people being desperate for food or something. DX were a great entertaining... <laughs> Break it down, <laughs> yeah. Mick Foley is the lone voice of reason in this documentary. Yeah, only yeah. of sanity. Like, seriously. You know what, I think Mick Foley, there was like, three or four years ago, I think people were on the kind of bad, thought Foley was on the wrong side of history a bit. And because he was saying all these kind of like angry blog posts and mm. he seemed a little mm. bit out of touch. And you know what, in the last year, with him coming back and he's fucking dropped all that weight, he looks so healthy, he looks so happy, and he's just coming out every other week with like, here's a blog that I agree to fuck with. I love it. <laughs> Round of applause for Mick Foley, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he says that DX went too far, man. You know, yeah, went a little bit too far. Yeah. He's really sincere, like he's saying, like, I believe the allusions to a certain sexual act being performed on television every night 
was maybe a little bit over the line. And then it cuts to Road Dog like, you gotta blame the parents for that, man. That ain't on the Road Dog. <laughs> <laughs> really responsible guy. You can put on as many nice shirts as you want, but you're still the fucking Road Dog. <laughs> I, I loved the, um, the cutaway to Bischoff as well, saying he was pissed off. Pissed off with how good WWF were. <laughs> and like, I get two checks now, please. <laughs> and then it just says 2002 in the bottom corner when you know he's a corporate shill. <laughs> and it's also before his hair turned white after killing his daughter, Laura Palmer. Never stop the Twin Peaks! Yeah! Never stop the Twin Peaks! <laughs> um, Rodog's quote, which was, uh, it's, it's a great, it's kind of absolving himself of any guilt. We desecrated a whole generation of young people. <laughs> Desecration. That's what we've been, so... My conscience is clean. Clearly. <laughs> we, so we've been decimated and desecrated, because me and Adam, we watched this shit growing up, like, and uh, conspicuous by their absence, I hear, my parents, like... You know. <laughs> Did you know that the DX stuff was... I mean, you probably did, obviously, but, I mean, did you know, cos I didn't, that it was all about willies? I had a feeling, because, like... Why do I know everything about willies? <laughs> <laughs> well, you obviously kind of... You obviously came into wrestling... Uh, the reformation so, of DX. I don't like... say post-willy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it would have been more apparent to you getting into it, like, you weren't, like, nine years old when you started wrestling. No, I was a bit wrestling. older, yeah. Yeah, I was nine. I did not know what suck it meant. No, I didn't know what suck it meant, but then, like, you'd be like, oh, this? Okay, suck it. I got it. an X for what's, DX! What's the, yeah, that's fine. And then you've got Billy Gunn, like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> When I say suck it, this is what I mean. You, like. know, you know the way Triple H would go like this? Yeah. My friend told me that he's, he's going Triple H, Hunter, Hearst. <laughs> 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 And I know I've told the story before, but for the benefit of those live, when I was 10 years old in Mullingar, and I thought I was the smartest boy in the world because I inherited my brother's DX69 suck it hockey top and two fucking grown men go to it. Do you really get to suck it? <laughs> uh, has anyone here ever been to Mullingar? Hey. hey, there you go. You can imagine it's basically like that phrase if it was a town. That's kind <laughs> of what it's like, so yeah. We finally get to the meat and veg of our documentary, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. I'm going to go out on a limb here. There you go. Ah, there it is. Just kiss already. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was all really down to. You could I cut think. it with a knife. Yeah. Attention. <laughs> um, for me, feud of the attitude era. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah. 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 Moving on. Um, <laughs> now, what I will say, though, is because before we finally, finally, this is about 20 minutes in, we're just mentioning Austin for the first time, we had before that segment where it was DX are the best, eh? DX are really cool. Big montage about DX being great. Fade to black. DX were revolutionary as well, though. Big <laughs> montage of how groundbreaking they were. And then they say, DX were revolutionary, but no one could have seen the good fortune that was about to come. So just a bit of good luck, really, isn't it? Yeah. Austin was so popular. He like, sent to be the right place at the right time. Exactly right? what it is. But, but, in that corner there. Things could be shown I liked as well, in, in the section where you did have the list of achievements of DX, we got a sign of Cartman in a DX shirt doing the crotch chop, which is the most 90s thing ever. And that's a List of achievement. Look what this fan did for DX, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think like Steve Austin. I don't think his importance can ever be 
understated. Well, it can right here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, understated and it, like, makes sense. Because, I mean, it's just like Austin was the Attitude Era, you know? Mm. The Rock came up and The Rock was just as popular, I think, when he was at his peak. And The Rock definitely helped carry it over when Austin was gone. But it wouldn't have even started. It wouldn't even mattered if The Rock, I think, got to the point had Austin not been there first. I think the more I watch, the more I realise about Austin's importance. Because we're watching SmackDown late 99 when Austin's mm. on, on the Fritz and they struggle without him. Like, they, he's like a load-bearing. <laughs> the Fritz? Yeah. He's not a radio that's like broken. <laughs> he's been run over. <laughs> he has to go to the shop to get his neck fixed. Vince Russo said that everyone wanted to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. Did you want to be Austin? Uh, no, because no, I, I was a little boy and he's a bold man that seems to be <laughs> getting into a lot of fights all the time. I hated jeans as a child, so uh, yeah. I was like, mankind, very comfy looking. Like, I, I, love, I wanted to be mankind, like, you know, I absolutely. If I had my way when I was nine, I would have worn, like, a shirt and tie and sweatpants like mankind, like, absolutely. I, I did like the lad we cut to explaining why Austin was so great, who's like, he, I think he's from, like, Boston. Or somewhere like that, or he's at least trying to do a Vince Russo impression. He goes, he drinks beer, he swears, kicks ass. <laughs> Wicked hand. <laughs> Wicked hand. <laughs> Austin 316, I think, is probably the biggest cash cow ever. I mean, yeah. where did you get that? Like, you just picked up the other day, it's, did you? It's a bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the official one has the shitty WWE Network logo right really? on the Yeah, legit. Yeah. Yeah, so... Weren't they selling them in Primark for a while? Because you could get a Rise Above Hate one in Primark. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you could get an Austin 316 one. You're right. Yeah. They occasionally have cheap wrestling shirts in Primark every now and then. Always check. <laughs> Always check. Young Bucks, you can have your hot topic. We'll take, <laughs> we'll take Steve Austin in Primark any day of the week. That's what we are. Right? Did you find the music in this section when they're talking about Austin really weird? Like, when Big Show's talking about me, we've got this really melancholic music, like Austin's died. <laughs> like, it, it sounds like a eulogy for Austin. <laughs> well, there's probably... This is a good time as any to bring it up, actually. The music across the board is dreadful in this documentary. Like, the people that edited this probably haven't even watched wrestling. They somehow edited this without watching it while they were editing it, because they don't understand what music works with it. Again, Ash has got a clip lined up for us that will perfectly illustrate what I'm talking about here. Just watch this clip and see how the visuals match with the music that's underneath it. Yeah, roll that bean footage. <laughs> The programming was innovative and groundbreaking. It pushed the limits of what was considered accepted content on television. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Why is this thing like an episode of Cheers? <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's like, you know, at the end of WrestleMania 17, they just played that music and Vince is, like, turning off the lights. Throws a tail to Shane McMahon. Hey, kid! <laughs> oh, God. Um, they talked about an important part of the Attitude Era. I think it's something which uh, we went out of our way to say was a really important bit and that Vince Russo was the main reason for it, which was making sure, top to bottom, everyone on that card, had a storyline. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of, like, when you're watching an episode of, of Raw from back in those days, of course, the fact that it's, like, you know, 100 hours shorter, but just the fact that you're always cutting back to, oh, what are they doing? They're doing something, aren't they? And all those little guys down at the bottom, everyone had a storyline, like Heat. You yeah. had to watch Heat. 
That's amazing. <laughs> and then they kind of pivot that good ideology, though, the idea of everyone having something to do and that really helping. Like, we did jobbers recently on How To Wrestling, and I was talking with the job squad. I just love that. It's like, we don't have nothing for these guys. Just put them together as the job squad. Perfect. But then Pat Patterson says, everyone wanted to see the McMahons on TV. Mm. It's not the same logic there, is it? Like, mm. I much more care about what Test is up to than Linda McMahon. Like, <laughs> you know? So then they just pivot into Triple H's storylines. Yep. All of his storylines, yep. every single one. And they're like, great talent made the WWF better. Here's Triple H beating The Rock and Austin and Cactus Jack making out with Stephanie because he's cool. He's the main character, mate. Like, he's the <laughs> protagonist of the Attitude Era. I kind of, yeah, is that one of those things where you kind of, you're, you're led to believe that it's the story of these two blokes, but it's actually It's the all tale about him. Of, yeah, all about the game and how you play it. <laughs> the boss man's, uh, you know, you interrupted the funeral, that gets a look in there. Yeah. yeah. That was the only bit of boss man they showed. There was no him feeding dog food to an unconscious person or anything, sadly. Um, yeah, alas. So JBL credits himself with one of the worst things we have to deal with in the Attitude Era. And I've been podcasting for like four, going on five years now. And I can easily say the most frustrating thing to record, the most frustrating thing to watch, the most frustrating thing to edit, and the thing that's probably gotten the least hits, and so I therefore thought was the biggest waste of fucking time, was the Brawl for All tournament. <laughs> Don't cheer that! <laughs> oh, the, the thing is, as well, that was gonna be a lost episode, because it, it got all fucked up. I was happy! And, be, and then a fan <laughs> fixed it! Ridiculous. I can still remember that fan's name, it was Kellen Scrivens. Yeah! Any relation to Paul? I don't know. We may never know. <laughs> so he said that he had a great idea. It was going to be the hardcore division, but it was Brawl for All. <laughs> he came up with the hardcore division. They interpreted it as Brawl for All. Yeah. So it's his way of saying that he came up with it, but, you know, don't blame him. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, like... My idea was great. They just happened to make it terrible by doing it. And actual... <laughs> I never said actualize this. What are you doing? Yeah. But so I he... love how everyone says it's so shit. It, like, yeah. no one puts it over in this documentary. It was a mistake. We should never have done it. I'm glad it's in the past. I wonder what Bar Gunn's thing, you know, thought process was on it. Because he won the Brawl I Brawl. don't think he can remember it after 15. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Lights are on, no one's home. Poor, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> I seriously, the two people I feel saddest for in the Attitude Era, one is Bark Gunn because he was strung along and made to do all this boxing shite and they made out like he was gonna, you know... Have a big reward. <laughs> go to Japan, when you come back, you're not allowed in. <laughs> <laughs> and the other... Uh, <laughs> The other one who I really feel sorry for is uh, Pete Gass. Because um, you know, Pete Gass is part of the Mean Street Posse. He always got smashed in the head with a chair. He thought that, oh, if I you know, give myself unprotected chair shots, everyone will bring respect to me. And he released a book recently, and he did all the, the interviews around. And I was like, how are you getting on, Pete? He said, yeah, that's great. You're still dressing. No, no, I've got a job now. I have to... Well, it's usually on a two-hour commute in in the morning, and... You know, it's a long commute, and that's what he has to put up with now. That's his legacy. Four hours every day. <laughs> oh, God. And that's why he's one of the most biggest sympathetic parts of the Attitude Era for you. It's because now he has a commute. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you have to do that, and then it's like, right, now become a wrestler. Wait, it's like, it's the wrong way round. <laughs> He's paying his dues now after the fact. <laughs> 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 they immediately start focusing on it being more extreme, more hardcore. I think something we always picked up on was the fact that while it started off as Foley kind of going, hey, I'll take a few risks because I can and I'm convinced that my body is able to absorb X amount of punishment. But I've always felt bad for them tag teams, them younger boys who, if you kind of listen to some interviews and read between the lines, feels like it was less Edge and Christian, Bubba Ray, Devon, Matt and Jeff going, hey guys, let's kill ourselves. And more like Michael Hayes going, out you go. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any moments that stand out to you two guys about being particularly like, that's too much or they're going too far? And not, not in terms of like bad taste, I'm talking in terms of, these guys are really hurting themselves and it doesn't seem like it's worth it. Nothing stands out. Not massively in the Attitude Era stuff. Like, the only times it felt like it went too far would be things like um, Kurt versus Shane Street Fight, but that was an accident. Like, mm. it wasn't meant to be that bad. King of the Ring, 98, the, the Hell in the Cell, the Hell in the Cell, you could say that's gone too far, but I I'm worried it, that everyone here will probably rip me apart if I say that, so I, I, I think don't think that. I think it's more, it's more in retrospect, like when you hear people like Bubba Ray Dudley talking about how he was in a match with Chris Jericho and fell off and then asked how to climb a ladder. Like, he didn't know how to climb a ladder. He was like, he got that hit that hard. It's really sad. That's the one as well where afterwards he was in the hospital with a concussion. He kept asking where his mom was and she just died and he didn't know because he was concussed. And he, he kept telling him and he started breaking down crying. And then in five seconds later, he'd be like, where's my mom? I was like, oh, for fuck. Jeez. Oh. I mean, I feel like it's them almost taking advantage of the fact that there were guys who were like, we need to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Mm. And I kind of feel like Bubba Ray Dudley or anyone who was taking licks like that isn't going to turn around and go, actually, no chair shots for me tonight. Yeah. Uh, I want to remember, you know, what I'm doing today. I feel like Royal Rumble 1999 was, like, that's a real moment mm. where it kind of went way too far. Yeah. You watch Beyond the Mat and Vince is like, oh, that was too much. And Foley's like, yeah, that was too much. And then it's like, yeah, let's do it with younger guys instead. Let's do it to six people as opposed to one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Christian, you ever watch Christian? I think this happened to me as a kid because Christian was a creepy heel. I was like, yeah, get him, die. <laughs> <laughs> and if you watch back now, Christian takes all these horrible bumps and then JR gets his name wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's not worth it, like, seriously. Okay, so I think we must say a little bit of a, a dangerous precedent. But they start talking now about the demographics that they went after and the college demographic. Essentially, it meant that they were going to chant for tits instead of matches. It's something which they admit to here, saying that they, they aimed low. Yeah, yeah. but they, they word it so carefully. Like, they were aiming for enthusiastic young guys. I mean, just because a men. bunch of guys crotched up and go, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> like White Walkers swarming <laughs> to the wall in Game of Thrones. Free beer! <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah, I hated it. I absolutely hated it, because there's all these pay-per-views that we watched in 1999, and they start off, and, like, there's a sea of signs. You can't see anyone. Everyone's got a sign. And they're all like, ah, ah, like, ripping their skin off, like, <laughs> just killing the people next to them, you know, taking their dicks out, whatever. <laughs> and then, ding, 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 here comes the match, and they're like... Just turn around. <laughs> like, what happens in those days when you can't look at your phone? You just sit quietly. Like, you know, it's really, really sad and awkward. But they said, <laughs> to a montage of, of boobs and butts and everything else, they go, catering to the male demographic was a smart business decision. <laughs> and all the men in the documentary seem to agree. 
No women were interviewed other than Stephanie, who did not comment at the time. Just so Steph. awful, absolutely awful. Like, because they didn't like. I don't know if they actually gained that much from doing the really sexual stuff in the long run. It's not why I watch wrestling. Like, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Like, even when I was a kid, and I would be like, "Oh, Trish Stratus, she's hot." Like, and you would just sort of buy into it because you're a kid. It wasn't the reason I watched wrestling. You watch it for wrestling. You yeah. watch it for Stone Cold. Like, that extra stuff being there was just inconsequential. Like, as I watched wrestling with my brother and sometimes my cousin, so it was always awkward. Mm. And there was, I remember, there was one weekend when we were like 12, and me and my cousin, like, there was some other boy, his neighbor, was like, "Hey, isn't Trish Stratus hot?" And we're like, "Yeah, she is." And then, like, on Sunday after the weekend, we were like. Oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, Trish is nice, but I just didn't like it. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> um, big Show. Big Show goes, no offense, but the women wrestlers before the Attitude they were rough, man. What a big piece of shit. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> and Christian comes in while they're showing, like, you know, because you had Trish Stratus and Lita who had to kind of, you they know. They put Lita over. They say she yeah. got, like, Austin level pops. She at times. did, absolutely. They, they did angles with Trish and Lita, and, like, they had The Rock as, like, kind of the garnish, like, The Rock special ref, like, you know, Lita versus Stephanie, because, you know, Lita was so over. But, like, it's kind of like when you actually have to use the phrase, they rose through the muck and the mud, and literally they had to, like, go away from mud and muck matches. Yeah. <laughs> and pudding and gravy and eggnog <laughs> and all the other fluids that they've used. And then Christian says, yeah, they were kind of innovators in a way. Uh... <laughs> I feel it was so much, like, now, like, I feel like it's awesome that women's wrestling is finally getting a look in. I just feel so bad for all the women wrestlers who didn't get a look in in those days because they didn't have that look. Yeah, or even the ones that were there and didn't want to be doing that. Imagine if Ivory was in today's wrestling scene instead of stuck in the Attitude Era wrestling mm. scene. She could be fucking tearing it down. Like, Ivory, literally, like, her entire career was, like, her being so good and, like, refusing to do all the things. And, like, that's how good she was. She managed to stay on in that company for so long, yeah. despite the fact she didn't want to do any of that stuff. They do actually try and sort of... Because, obviously, they're saying it was a good business decision, that's why we did it, it was for the money. It was yeah. for the money, all right? It wasn't wrong if we're sexually objectifying people for a profit. I mean, <laughs> we weren't doing it for a laugh. <laughs> but they do try and also make out that the women were still tough as nails and they were still wrestlers. Rikishi says, not only were these hot chicks, they could whoop your ass. And then you see a shot of Sable doing the Sable bomb on Mark Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best example of it. Yeah. They profile Godfather and Val Venus. Mm -hmm. Uh, the one or two times my parents walked in on me watching wrestling was when one of the neighbor boys came over to watch wrestling and the godfather was coming out to the ring with uh, his prostitutes. And my mother said, oh, all sorts, and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> Val Venus has had a lot of fun, sexy promos over the years, yeah. we can say. Uh, this one here they profiled, very, very good. More meat than your buns can handle. Don't clap that. <laughs> Do you have any favourite Val Venus promos? It's, it's got to be the hurricane one, where he makes fun of a natural disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if someone did that now. Yeah. Oh, my God, it was a different time back then, I guess. 
Um, anyone's for you? Um, it was a recent one we saw on SmackDown <laughs> together. <laughs> it was during the storyline when Al Snow's action figure had been recalled because of the little decapitated head. Long story, forget about it. But that had happened, and Val is feuding with Al, and he just comes out and he goes, now you're all miserable, Al, just because your figures were jerked off the shelves. <laughs> and he does a big, massive, <laughs> meaty one like and that. And how does he do this? He, he does this as well. Yeah, like, he's, throws he's throwing it. Like, like, he gives you an idea of the viscosity. Yeah. Like, it's got, you can't do that. You'll have to do this. It'll stick otherwise. It's like, like... seeing in Science of the Lambs. Where got... <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah. That's what happens when you bring up Valvinus. You can't help but end up talking about cum every yeah. time. Every time. Yeah. It is a cyclical business, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know. uh, Mick Foley says that Val Godfather was like fine for the times, but it was undue criticism. Like they said, risk and reward. Like, because for my money, I, <laughs> growing up a Catholic, I was fine with Steve Austin being crucified because that made, like, honestly, it was nothing like that on TV, and I saw that, and I was, I was transfixed that something like this was happening, that a man claiming to be the devil was putting a redneck on a cross and, and bringing him up into the sky, and the TV show is over, wrestling is done for today. <laughs> like, that, that, for me, that's like risk. You pissed off some people, but reward. All of us were absolutely obsessed with that kind of stuff. But that, like, if Val Venus wasn't on my telly, it's not as if I would have stopped watching wrestling. Mm. Yeah. Likewise with The Godfather. So there's risk and reward. I felt like they were, like, yes, there was times they were pushing the envelope for business, but there was times they were pushing the envelope because they were like, we can fucking do whatever we want. Well, on that note, do you want to talk about how they deal with the Mark Henry scene? Oh. This is so fucking weird. Yep. Okay, can we just give a little brief overview of what the scene is before Mark Henry tries to appropriate it, like that he's done something really good? Because <laughs> yeah. he hasn't. Like, this is a really touchy thing, and you're just throwing it to me. <laughs> Billy, would you like to give it a whirl? So, in the first Raw episode that we did... Oh, that was a fucking stonker, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and that was, it was where um, Mick wins the title. Yep. That's where they introduced this character who... Sandy or Candy or something like that. Sammy? Sammy, that's Sammy. it, yeah, Sammy. And she was... It was when Mark was going out with China, and China had this friend, and China, Sammy, and Mark were going to have a sexy, sexy threesome. Oh, yes. Not and implied, they actually said, let's yeah. have a threesome. How many faints? <laughs> Hilarity ensues. Uh, then he, I think he just sort of pushes China aside because he just wants Sammy. Yeah. Doesn't want the threesome, he just wants Sammy. And he's doing all kissing on Sammy backstage. And we get the moment where he puts his hand up her skirt and we get, sweet Jesus, she's got a penis. <laughs> and she takes off the wig. And it is a man. It is a transvestite. And Mark Henry said that... <laughs> this is so weird. It is. Like, he goes, you know, you can see that scene and you might think that it's offensive or whatever, but, um, you know, with uh, homosexuality and everything, um, I might have inspired someone. No, he says... <laughs> he, no, no, he doesn't... He doesn't imply it. He outright says people have come up to him and said, we really, like, appreciate the way you tackled homosexuality. <laughs> then it cuts to him running to the bathroom back in the original clip and vomiting. Because <laughs> at the idea of kissing a man, and then he has the gall to say, yeah, I really helped some people out, you know. And not, really... only, not only that, he's vomiting, and then they cut back to ringside where Mark Henry's mother is crying. Oh, <laughs> oh my boy is ashamed. Oh, it's horrid. Absolutely. That's really, really fucking that's, I think that's I'm... the worst thing in the documentary. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. To, to say that we only did all the sex stuff for the money, that's one thing. <laughs> to say that that's empowering for trans and homosexual people, 
It's just not true. <laughs> you know, it's literally, I think last week was the one year anniversary of Stephanie Man saying, oh yeah, we're gonna do LGBT storylines. Just you wait. Mm. Don't, please. If that's, <laughs> if that's the empowering stuff that you've got lined up, just leave it be, I think. So they started to tone it down a little bit in 2000. They had the PTC, the Parents Television Council, who essentially were writing to WWS advertisers and they were using examples like the ones we've mentioned to kind of say, stop advertising WWE, stop funding them. And they were quite successful at it. Uh, WWE had to pivot. They had to change what they were doing. And as a result of that, we got rid of a lot of the needlessly raunchy characters. Like you started having Trish and Lita and the kind of some of the women's wrestlers as opposed to, you know, Terry and Jacqueline who were just doing stuff with like neat and things like that, where it was just, you know, bikini contests and nothing else. It was still quite bad. Uh, Godfather and Val ending up in right to censor. But you know what? I think it's no, it's no small coincidence that 2000, when they started to tone it down, I think that's probably the best bit of the Attitude Era. Legit. I think like, mm. there's more focus, at least. Yeah. You know, they're trying so fucking hard. I love characters like Val Venus and the Godfather, but honestly, yeah, once those gimmicks have gone, not because of that, but the show did get better. Yeah. Like, not as a result, but it just was better. And it just goes to show you don't need these horrible characters. I mean, they are saying here, like, you know, we had nothing to be ashamed of. You know, they, they won their lawsuit against the PTC, but they still toned it down. So it's kind of like they're saying, yeah, we won the war. We didn't do anything wrong. But we just so happened to coincidentally tone everything down and get rid of a lot of those characters that they were complaining about. And they say here, like, oh, we told you up front, it's TV 14. So your fault or my parents' fault, I guess, mm. in that. I mean, it was marketed so strongly to us. Like, mm. I mean, kids these days, I don't know if it's marketed as strongly as it was when we were kids. Oh, it's got to be. If, now it's PG, it's going to be even more about the kids. But yeah, back then, if it's just TV 14, then why have I got all these toys and this lunchbox and this stationery yeah. set? Sponsored by Super Soaker. Like, and... Yeah, all this kid stuff, it was clearly aimed at children. The creepiest thing I ever saw is I used to go, when I would go to, to Dublin uh, once every few months with my parents, and I got to go to Smith's and Jervis Street and pick out a wrestling toy. I remember being there once, and you'd see some other wrestling fans, and there was a kid who had found a Sable action figure, and they were showing it to their dad, and they was like, see, Dad, look, there's, there's sexy women. And the dad was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Like, if a children's toy is like, hang on a second, I'm not being sexually gratified enough. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe this toy is speaking some sense, you know? I just feel like you were marketing it to us kids, like, you know? I mean, it's a miracle we're not more fucked up than we are already, like. <laughs> right, uh, moving on, we're gonna talk a little bit about how they added Heat and SmackDown. I've what always wondered... Why are they talking about heat? This is only an hour to cover the whole Attitude Era, start to finish. We've already it. covered the brawl for They don't all, say anything reason. either. They just say, we created heat as a promotional tool for pay-per-views and Raw. Nice one, mate. Good on you. Yeah. Hey, Great hands job. up or give us a shout if you watch Heat on Channel 4 back in the day. Hey. Fair play. Fair See, enough. Important, very yeah. important. I've always wondered, how come WF were able to exponentially add more programming, like Heat and SmackDown, and yet WCW, like, <laughs> they struggled. As soon as, like, let's do another half hour and, like, the wheels fall off the car and <laughs> all the wrestlers get sick everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so why is it WF were able to do it and WCW weren't? Is there, any, is there any answer for that? Is it just they it's, were incompetent? It's hard for me to answer it, because I can barely watch 10 minutes of WCW without thinking I need to have a lie down. Like, I, just, <laughs> I can't watch WCW. Like, I couldn't manage, say, two shows of that in a week, whereas with WWF, that's much easier. It's mm. good watching. 
Yeah, I think it may be because they also didn't give a crap about Vince Russo. <laughs> they just like write more stuff, <laughs> and then when he quit, they just found someone else to do it for him. Like mm -hmm. maybe they were more willing to put more money into writers. They talked a bit about the role of comedy in the Attitude Era, and certainly what kept me invested as a kid. It was firstly it was supernatural storylines and the kind of craziness mm. and the wacky characters. But comedy is what made me tell other people to start watching wrestling. I got my cousin into wrestling because of mankind and Mick Foley being like weird and silly. The rock got like everyone in. as soon as Channel 4 started showing heat, everyone in my school was doing the rock because he was so funny. Um, any kind of particular standout performers from the Attitude Era other than you know, Foley and The Rock? who were given comedy out the wazoo and maybe don't get their, their just dues. Vince McMahon. Yes. I don't think like people always, because he's not a comedy character, and you often think, like, if you're going to be funny in wrestling, you need to be a comedy gimmick. But Vince can just be effortlessly funny yeah. when he's just being Vince McMahon. The scene where he's in a hospital bed and Mick won't leave him alone. He's brought the clown in, he's had the balloons. God and damn it, leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just blows the party blower right in his face. <laughs> damn it, leave. Like, just the, the littlest things he does can be fucking hysterical. Kurt Angle is gone. Yeah. Oh my God. Big time. It, it's so funny. Like, it, I kept wondering, like, is it Kurt just was really, really funny? And even like watching Raw now, where Kurt's the, the GM on Raw, and he's not a comedy character, but it's so much better than normal because Kurt is just a very good performer. He's actually quite a good actor. Anyone you would mention, you think? Um, I don't think people give enough credit to Triple H for how funny he is, mm. especially during the Attitude Era. Yeah, any uh, moments particularly? <laughs> just paranoid Triple H in general. Yeah. I think, when he's really paranoid towards the end of 2000. Yeah, yeah. I just really, really enjoy that. Just him freaking out at everything, thinking that Kurt's going to steal Steph and... Uh, Kurt, and it's not Kurt Angle, uh, Steve Blackman and Al Snow as well. That's one which I think rarely, like, Blackman was just a great straight man, like, you know. Head cheese. Head cheese. Had a great, yeah, had a great payoff <laughs> at WrestleMania 15. So, there's a great few examples payoff. of genuinely funny things. What they yep. show is Big Show in a kilt. Way. Vince McMahon doing the, uh, the dude love dance. And DX in blackface. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 2013 this came out and they showed the blackface. They fucking love that sketch. They will never stop showing that sketch. <laughs> Someone tweeted saying that their favorite Adjera podcast quote of all time is Billy saying, and DX have put different amounts of effort into their blackface. <laughs> 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 it's never on, is it? <laughs> and Ash, don't show a picture, because I don't want it, it. Oh, man. Like, They've, they've really, like, never kind of realised that. It's still up on... You know, I don't say take it down, but don't put on your documentary saying, yeah, it's so funny, wasn't it? <laughs> they should be far more ashamed of that than they ever will be, I think. Yeah, oh, God. They talk about the greatest rivalry in history, in their minds. The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hot takes, I know I've asked you before, but we're doing new stuff now. Austin or Rock? Definitely Austin. Austin or Rock? Uh, changed my mind from when I said it um, in the end of an era episode. I said The Rock, watching The Rock's return. <laughs> Austin! Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Austin as well. <laughs> um, yeah, um, we were being shown. Um, Alice was showing us uh, or telling us about The Rock's new tattoo recently. Oh, yeah. He's got his tattoo changed. It's like basically the tattoo version of George Lucas digitally edited. <laughs> <laughs> the tattoo used to remind you of the Brahma Bull in your childhood, now it reminds you of a demon. <laughs> <laughs> they talked as well about um, some of the big celebrities that they had in during the editorial. I thought that was a very weird one for them to touch on because 
I think the one thing they were really bad at during the Edge era was celebrities because mm. it wasn't, even though it was very popular, it was a very toxic brand. And no one was like, oh, yeah, go on Raw. Like, you know, <laughs> they, they would tell them to avoid it at all costs. Other than like Ben Stiller and ZZ Top, who are massive wrestling fans. Ben Stiller them. doesn't look like he's a wrestling fan. He, he's just sat there looking like he's on heroin. <laughs> he just sat there just going, <laughs> Ben Stiller there. It's amazing that Mystery Men didn't do better with promotional <laughs> tactics like that, like, oh. <laughs> uh, and Cindy Margolis is there. I was going to say, yeah, come on, don't leave out the big blockbuster names like Cindy Margolis, everyone, like, from Shasta McNasty. Oh, OK. That's Philistines. Right. And uh, Frank Zappa's kid as well. He was there as well, wasn't he? Um, two highest rated segments in history of the Attitude Era. Do you remember what they are? Well, I did not know that the Stooges versus Mean Street Posse yeah. was like because I've not seen that segment, so I took I took the word of the documentary that that was like I thought that was a lie. <laughs> like how? Yeah, it just what it was on an episode of Raw where it was basically it was an episode of Raw where they decided the stars like right tonight like the baby faces get everything and they booked like Big Show versus Paul Bearer and like you know Vince and Shane versus like the Acolytes or something like that and they said gave everyone all the matches. That that they wanted, and it was just like a fever pitch the whole night. Like, it was great. They were ringing a gong over and over again. And they had the Posse versus the Stooges. It just so happened that WCW was crap enough that everyone turned over, and everyone loved it. That so. was the apex of the, of the night. That was, like, the highest-rated part yeah, of that Yeah, it was the middle of the, the middle of the night, and it just peaked up. And it was that for, like, a year, and then it became uh, This Is Your Life. Actually, it wasn't a year, it was a few months. This Is Your Life, which was rock and mankind, which, honestly, I don't like that much anymore, because it goes on for 30 minutes. Yeah, it's too long. It's, it's way too long. It was like Mick said, like, they were given 13 and went for 26. Yeah. And, like, everyone was mad pissed off at them when they came back. Naturally. It's a national television show. You can't do double the time you're allotted. That's unprofessional, like... And they're live as well. It's literally yeah. They just come and say, guys, please, come on, there's other wrestlers who want to do a, who want to do something. They can't have Vince come to the ring and, like, blow his quads, like... <laughs> but I... <laughs> I love, I love Rock and Foley, Rock and Sock. I absolutely adore. I think Rock and Sock reaches out beyond wrestling. I think it's it's so perfect and it's one of the best things they ever did in the Attitude Era. But them constantly glorifying that segment and making it like it's the best thing. It's the highest rated doesn't mean it's the best. And when you make out it is the best, that's when we get Alexa Bliss and Bailey doing This Is Your Life. Yeah. Watch the yeah. segments, not the highlights. It's mm. like one joke as well. It's <laughs> here's someone from your past. I don't like them. Here's another person from your past. Don't like them, mate. Surprise ending. I don't like the other two either. Yeah. <laughs> 26 minutes. <laughs> I mean, the real thing about the Attitude Era and the fact that it's always like, absolutely mind-blowing to me is the fact that they're able to start publicly trading this company and do a public stock offering and do really, really well, despite the fact that the only people who'd be sponsoring them is, like, Castrol Motor Oil. Yeah. <laughs> call cards. Like, that whole <laughs> you know? segment where, like, they'd, they'd like, doing everything that they've publicly traded. It just really reminded me of the Rage Against the Machine video for Sleep Now in the Firelight. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's going mental behind them, this confetti. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing to think that, like, despite the... Like, it shows you how the wrestling can exist independently of the mainstream. It doesn't need mainstream acceptance. If anything, mainstream acceptance all, all usually serves to alienate it from the hardcore fans. And it kind of feels like if they were trying to be more mainstream and they weren't doing all this, like, really, like 
pushing the envelope, as they said. I don't know if they could have like gotten such a passionate fan base like this. Because you know, we were watching recently on SmackDown, and they're like telling people, it's like they want to take away these people who don't like WWE. They want to take away your freedom of choice, your ability to watch what you like. That's so un-American, guys. Oh my God! Letter writing campaign. Write all your letters to all these you know congressmen, tell them how much you love wrestling. They won't be able to do that now. No way. Yeah. They said, guys, write a letter to your congressman. They'd write and tell them how much they hate Roman Reigns. <laughs> you know, can we trigger a bias? election for this guy, right? I mean, come Let's on. Guys, dox everybody. <laughs> <laughs> they muse on the lack of competition, and then they conclude that, you know, buying WCW and ECW was a smart business decision. They don't seem to admit that lack of competition has made them take their eyes off the ball. Mick Foley kind of does bit. a little bit. Yeah. Where he, he goes, like, we had that, like, breath of, like, all right, we're done. Yeah. And then we forgot to take that extra inhale yeah. afterward. I think the fact that they followed it up with a really shonky angle that we're going through at the moment with uh, the invasion. A uh, new episode will be out next week. I was too nervous to edit this week, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think they they kind of end up with a confused ending. They don't seem to be able to draw a conclusion themselves. It pushed the limits of acceptable content. We got some cool moments, man. <laughs> like that's that's literally it. Like, yeah. and then they play closing time there at the end. <laughs> and everyone has a pint and goes home. Like, you know? And they lay out Vince McMahon's body on the pool table and say, "Body of an Irishman." And they go like, <laughs> home early." Like. Austin says people live vicariously through him. That's a part of the out here, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Steph says it defines the odds. Mark Henry says I never had more fun outside of the ring in my career. <laughs> That's not a closing line. <laughs> and then they sum it up beautifully. And this is great. They sum it up so vaguely that it basically justifies our collective existence doing this for as long as we ever want to. It certainly was a time that fans will refer to simply as the Attitude Era. <laughs> <laughs> That's the documentary. Uh, we're going to do some uh, Q&A now, folks. So uh, yeah, round of applause for the documentary. If you watched it, sorry. If you haven't, don't. Um, before we get into our Q&A, we've got a roving man in a blue T-shirt over there. So just go hands up, folks. Um, when we are doing the questions, because this is being recorded, make sure the microphone's in your hands before you start speaking. Otherwise, it'll be blah, and people will go, oh, God, that guy can't ask a question for shit. So be careful with that, OK? We are going to show Adam's special video now. <laughs> I was getting really worried for that. Oh, no, 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 no. This is great, because you know, we're big Twin Peaks fans at the moment. This is very much our part eight of tonight's evening. So uh, Adam has made you all a special video. No, 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 no. This is not for you. This is for me. It's only, it's only 30 seconds. And Can you all turn around so you don't look at him? I was told <laughs> we would have a big screen and big speakers, so I thought I'd make this for myself and... It only takes 30 seconds. The pants you guys are coming just off. do whatever you want for a bit. Like. <laughs> Loosen the belt. Okay, pal. Ash, if you could, please.
Um, right, please, hands in the air. Um, yeah, Mr. Microphone Man, just pick whoever you think uh, would ask a good question. Uh, if you want to address them to us specifically, individually, or around table, just let us know. Hi. If you could pick any two wrestlers from the Attitude Era to swap gimmicks, who do you think would have done best? Oh. That's a bit of a tough one, isn't it? That's a serious question. Can you give mm. us two weeks? <laughs> I mean, you know what I would? Actually, I'll tell you what. There's one I can think of. Uh, Jeff Jarrett. If you know when Val Venus did, he's like, I'm a serious wrestler now, and he moves with Trish, and yeah. it's like, want to yeah. be a serious wrestler. If you had, like, Val and Trish, but it was Jeff and Deborah. Where Deborah's like, I'm, the, I'm his business manager. It's all business, and Je you know, Jeff is this kind of mean, kind of has been burned by some shitty gimmicks and just yeah. wants some respect. That's what I would go with. I think that would work. I want to know what you think, Billy, because you're gonna have some crazy cocktail there. Like... Bubberay and Devon switch their gimmicks. <laughs> <laughs> um, generally, the first thing that came to my mind was Goldust in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That would be very good. <laughs> and y'all will never forget the name of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Sounds like Nixon. Any uh, any wrestlers that didn't make it like into or like got stopped early on in the Attitude Era that you think could have made it further? Oh. Like any gimmicks that could have been changed that would have made them more suitable? Dan Severn. I don't yeah. think Dan yeah. Severn had anywhere near the. Oh, I've never had a clap for anything before. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Severn all the way, like, he was so underutilised and just barely even there. It wasn't yeah. even like he was around and not doing anything. He was just there one minute and then gone. I kind of, it was really sad. I watched this uh, shoot interview with Ken Shamrock and he was like, yeah, Dan was there and no one liked him. <laughs> no one liked him. Oh. He wasn't good. And, uh, yeah, they told him to wear a shirt because he was soft. <laughs> can you believe that? Yeah, can you have to wear a shirt? <laughs> What a dick! Seriously. I, uh, that being said, though, I think Ken Shama could have went further than yeah. he did. But they tried. They really tried. Yeah, they did. The fans just didn't give a shit. I think Val Venus, I mean, we've mentioned him a million times, but Val had, like, literally three honest, like, let's do it, let's push Val Venus, and it never worked. And mm. I don't know why, like... Was it because people liked his gimmick too much that they wouldn't buy anything else? Maybe. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Talk really. about come again. <laughs> <laughs> That was like kind of the, the, the heel heat right there. He's denying you the talk of bodily fluids. <laughs> I'd boo that. <laughs> um, this is more like a personal quest. Can um, Kevin cover, uh, put a little ass on it by Rikishi? <laughs> if that's possible. Can you do a cover of put a little ass on it by Rikishi? All I know is that one line. <laughs> which is, uh, put a little ass on it. Ass on it. Put like a, a baby. Like a baby. Fuck this, let's go hit the Soho. Get <laughs> the shit on the road, like. I love that that's what your definition of a personal question is. <laughs> <laughs> so impersonal. Feel free to say no, it's a little personal. <laughs> this one's for Billy. Uh, you obviously started watching a little later, so I was wondering if there are any things where Kevin and Adam had been like, hey, you're going to love this, it's going to be awesome, and then you go in and it's just like, that sucked, I don't know what you guys were on about or anything. New Age Outlaws, like, <laughs> and I changed your mind on that. Like, yeah. New Age Outlaws, like, if you if you like them and you still like them, fair enough, all the power to you. They're trash. <laughs> but anyone who ever tweeted us or messaged us and were like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I got death threats <laughs> when we first started the podcast. I got death threats and people saying I shouldn't be on the podcast because I don't like the New Age Outlaws. 
But like the way I view this, this is like, look, you, we watched it like two days ago. You watched it like 16 years ago. I'll trust our opinion over yours. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any other ones where we were like trying to big it up. I mean, WrestleMania 17 at the time, I remember we were pushing it hard as being like, this is the best. And you didn't feel that way. I didn't feel that way at the time, but then after I watched it a second time and I did change my mind that it was, it was really, really great. Mm. Um, yeah. You weren't a big fan of Right to Censor, were you? Yeah, oh, no, we were always man. big in that. I remember up. you missing the point with that almost and just not clicking with it. it I was being worked by them. <laughs> I, was like, I, thought I was being worked by them. I was like, I, I don't like these guys. These guys are fucking annoying. And I was like, they're supposed to be Billy. Well, I don't like it. <laughs> Billy, you were listening to the sirens. You should have listened to that bass line, I, I, you know? I've listened to it since then with earphones. I can't hear it. Oh. I can't hear... <laughs> it's, a, it's a wrong frequency yeah. for Billy. Like, you know? Spending a whole weekend at home listening you, to the You can't sirens. hear it if you watch the Ruthless Aggression era. Like. <laughs> All right, let's take some more. Let's go left-hand side of the room, maybe. Hi, this uh, question's for uh, Adam. Who is your favourite grunter from the modern-day product? Ooh. Ooh! That's really good. <laughs> um, Brock Lesnar's up there, obviously. Yeah. Like, that's more of a yelp and a scream than a grunt, though, I'd say. <laughs> Uh, help me out here, guys. I'm drawing a blank on who. Uh, Dean Ambrose, obviously, oh, yeah. the goblin yeah. guy. Ziggler. Some dirty grunts. Ziggler. Zig Ziggler, his galaxy of prawns. Yeah! <laughs> galaxy of prawns! <laughs> <laughs> How, people keep asking us, what do you think about Akira Tozawa, seeing as his whole gimmick is basically grunts? Yeah, good, good, good. Gr he's got a long way to go yet, but he's got potential. Like, keep an eye on that one. He'll, he'll go somewhere in terms of grunts. <laughs> Uh, and Seth Rollins as well. Oh, Special yeah. To Seth. Seth grunts when he laughs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, I think we have some other questions this side here, maybe. Can I get your favourite Big Show cry? <laughs> oh. Wait, do you mean an impression or the moment? Like... <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I, we had originally said, like, what our favourite ones were, but I think after we did the, um, the kind of the 2013 shows, where Big Show, Alberto Del Rio, pours all that orange paint on him. Yeah. And Big Show's outside of his bus and he's taking his wheels. And it's the kind of cry, a personal cry, that can only happen after you had orange paint thrown. And he's going, Ooh! <laughs> 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 Him, great. at the end of the, um... The, uh... <laughs> Say it, I can't. <laughs> Told you. We knew at it At the end happen. of uh, Great American Bash 2006. Oh, yeah, The platoon. What did I do? <laughs> you know what was going through his head at the time? I'm no Undertaker. Oh. <laughs> uh, we got any other questions? So, uh, Mark Mero in uh, WWF is the drizzling shits. And, like, mm -hmm. it's pretty easily acknowledged. Uh, but in WCW, he actually kind of works um, with, like, Johnny B. Bad. Uh, Johnny B. Bad. Yeah. Like, do you think it's a case of, like, with him coming over... The gimmick he had in WCW being better than the performer, or like just some other like combination of things like with Sable and just everything that he gets there. I mean, I would say first and foremost, the story about Mark Merrow who had the Johnny B. Bad gimmick where he was a kind of very flamboyant, kind of over the top, you know, lots of basically feather boas and eyeliner type of gimmick. Um, and it was really, really like, it was not like anything else you're seeing on WCW. So we stood out a lot in WCW. There was not a lot of characters like remotely like that. But the problem was is that the rumor I've always heard is that Mark Merrow, when he was being signed, Vince saw 
the gimmick on WCW is like awesome. Get him, sign him, big money. It's going to be awesome. And then they realized that they couldn't get the gimmick. It was owned by, it was one of the few things that Turner had actually copyrighted as opposed to just stealing from someone else <laughs> and saying it's theirs, Arachnaman. Um, so <laughs> I think it's a point of, if you're brought in with a load of like, we're going to you know, give you a load of money and it's going to be awesome. And then straight away, it's like, actually, you can't do the thing that we thought you could. That's... Sable, where if you believe Vince, Vince Russo, as soon as we saw Sable, we were like, fuck Mark Merrow. <laughs> That's how beautiful she was. Like, I'm pretty sure if I watch Vince Russo's podcast long enough, he will start crying about Sable and how much he loves her. <laughs> Give it a few more episodes, guys. Well, so, the, yeah. the same thing happened with um, Jarrett, though, didn't it? Where they said, you're going to bring you in, you're going to face Austin, you're going to have a great time, Jeff. <laughs> I'm going to come in, I'm going to say that his gimmick is sacrilegious and profit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a question for all you guys, really. I can't think I'm the only person who like, kind of wanted their parents to sort of get into wrestling themselves. Mm. Um, I know I was, and like, it was a bad idea to like, show them a picture of Mick Foley after he had a death match where he's covered in blood. And I said, did you know he's actually like a loving father? As if that would work. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering if there was any like time in either of your lives, I don't know if your parents are wrestling fans, if you tried to get them into wrestling. I remember trying to explain to my parents about wrestling, because I think they were, like, at the start, they were kind of concerned, because they knew something that my brother was into and his friends, but they were obviously older than me. But I remember giving my parents Mick Foley's book, and I would, I would gush to my parents about Mick Foley, about how great he was, and like how he, how he was like a funny guy, and he wasn't violent, he didn't swear, he was a nice guy, and, and, and all that. And they, my mum read the book, and I actually think my mum reading the book was kind of her kind of going, okay, well, if that's his favourite, fine, you know, because he seems like he's, a, he's good and a, and a decent role model. So I think that's the only time I tried with my parents. Um, I don't think I would ever attempt to try it with my dad. Uh, that would be interesting, I think. My uh, family on my mother's side was a bit of a wrestling family back in the day. Like, they would watch World of Sport, go to the tapings. You don't like, get that in Ireland at all. That's like so families. weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the grandma, the nan, like, that, that whole side of the family, that generation, they would all go to World of Sports stuff together. So when I was getting into wrestling and I would hear all these stories about, like, oh, yeah, we used to go down the hall and watch it together. I was like, brilliant. We can all watch WWF together. And... <laughs> yeah. There was one, literally one memory I have of my mom seeing wrestling when I was watching it. And it was like, and now for this Christmas special, we're gonna cut to WWF New York, where Lita's gonna do a special performance. And I'll never forget the look on Lita's face as she just takes off this red robe and she's just wearing a bikini with a Santa hat and she's like, <laughs> I'm not being paid enough. Enjoy and, your mozzarella sticks, everyone. And I just remember, my, like, <laughs> I just remember like going cold and just turning around and seeing my mom there just like, this isn't wrestling. Because like, she, you know, it was wrestling back in her day. And then after that, I was like, okay, by any means necessary, I will never watch it in the same room as then again. Like, I just love that like, the, 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 all the, I can connect with all English grandmothers because of like wrestling and world yeah, sports. Yeah, you've got kind that. Of, like, ah, oh, Mick McManus, yes, the vehicle to hate the Irish in the 60s. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember. He was rotten. Yes, he was, wasn't he? Like, how about you, Bill? Uh, like, like with you, uh, my dad i was a big fan of like world of sport and stuff uh, never been a fan of the sort of american style of pro wrestling um i remember i think it was when i had a broken leg and i'd gone back home and i was watching some chikara that you'd given me oh yeah and it was a matt classic match so it was colt cabana doing a really 
shitty wrestling. Uh, how would you describe Matt Classic? Matt Classic is like, he's old school to the point of tedium. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was a bit where instead of like doing a 10 punch spot, Matt Classic's got this guy against the ropes and he's just with his ass just doing backwards pelvic thrusts <laughs> into him. And my dad walked in, shook his head, then walked back out. <laughs> Ace. Um, <laughs> any other questions there? Gents, how are things? Um, Kevin, also from Ireland, so... Love hey, hey! Love is that it. why you're wearing a British Strong Style T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> get <Make it> off! <laughs> what did Michael Collins say if he saw the stadium? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do it on the Sunday now. That's, that's the only thing you've done, that's right. <laughs> Um, just on the parents thing, quickly, um, my dad walked in during the Scott Steiner Triple H pose down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! And, yeah, it's, it's, I haven't lived it down since. Um, question. Um, if any of you, um, one from each of you, if you could trade one wrestler from today, from the Attitude Era, who would you switch? And just, and you, you, you know, if you can pick the same well, person. Well, someone from today into the Attitude Era. Yeah, and then era. someone from the Attitude Era back, if you could, like, trade them. Yep. I mean, I think the obvious answer has always been like Dean Ambrose, because Dean Ambrose yeah. has always mm. been kind of like, oh man, if this guy wasn't in a PG environment, it'd be so much more fun. Like, and I mean, I would even say to that extent, like a Roman Reigns, you know, because he, and because Roman, like, I feel like he's, he's suffered so much with his like childlike verbiage he's been given. Yeah. I feel that if Roman was in the attitude there, there's more of a sink or swim environment, and he wouldn't have had more of a relaxed time of it. So those are two guys I'd love to see back in the attitude era. Back into the current era. Yeah, that's a hard one. Who would you who would thrive from back then in the current product? You know now? who would if they gave him a fucking push and he's on the roster now? It's it's Goldust. Yeah. yeah. In 50 yeah. is the best shape of his career. Give him a push. He's or never something. got it. No. I, I would quite like to see what um, someone like Lesnar would have been like in the Attitude Era. Yeah. If they just had a complete killer. <laughs> they would have made him magic though. Yeah. Like he would, they would. <laughs> he'd have like an, no he'd have an amulet would. around his neck. Yeah. And then like someone takes the amulet off and there's like, a big puff of smoke and it's Gilberg. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, all right, let's take another question, please. Hi, uh, um, I just wondered what, what do you think of uh, John Cena and Roman Reigns' feud so far? Oh man, <laughs> fucking loving it! Yeah, I yeah. love it. Awesome TV. It. Like, I know a lot of people are thinking like it's making Roman look crap or it's making Cena look like an asshole, but I don't really care about any of that. It's just making for excellent promos. It's really entertaining, and the only criticism I have is that Roman needs to find something other than bitch he can say to get a pop. Like, that's what he re relies on. We talked about this week. He talked about the size of his own penis. That's. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I love watching it because like. I love how much Roman Reigns riles people up. And I don't know if it's just because, like, from podcasting for ages and particularly doing the Cena Rock feud, mm. but, like, I know it's probably not a popular opinion, but, like, Reigns, I just love how easily people get worked up. Like, the, the venom and the bile. And I was like that with Cena, and I kind of wasted... Like, I, I think genuinely in 2000... Everyone will say this, I guess, about their time, but in, like, 2009, 2010, I think genuinely John Cena was putting on really bad, tedious matches mm. that served to benefit no one. Whereas if you look at, like, Roman and Braun or Roman and Brock, yeah. any of the stuff that Roman's been doing recently, I kind of feel like he's, he's really actually rubbed off on other people. I love... Braun Strowman's, like, my favourite wrestler in the world at the moment, and I don't think I would love him if it had not been for Braun throwing around specifically Roman Reigns. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I love. And I think as well, it's, it's big, more power to this angle that they're doing that like I'm watching, 
Like any angles that are on current TV and Joe from How To, who doesn't watch much wrestling, if they like make her like, whoa, retake notice. Because there's so many angles, there's so much TV, and she's glued to Reigns and Cena at the moment. And I think that speaks volumes about it. Like, I'm know. really looking forward to it. It's going to be a really, I, I, it's going to be a great match, I think. Oh, we should be at WrestleMania. I hate having matches I like. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you do what I like, you do it wrong. <laughs> um, all right, any other questions? Lots of hands. We got around ten or more minutes for questions. That will Hi. Look at some signs. I'm here at the back. Hello hey. there, you at oh, the back. He made it. That's good. <laughs> um, couple of questions. Uh, is there a uh, Billy Gunn retrospective in the pipeline? <laughs> or or no. have you decided to leave the memories alone on that one? <laughs> uh, but seriously, if you were kind of like, you know, fancy booking, and if you were Vince McMahon in 1999 and so on and so forth, what could, be, could have been done uh, differently or extra to get Billy Gunn to work? I, I, it's honestly a lost cause. I honestly think he's a lost cause. Uh, he's, yeah. a, he's great in the ring, but he's got no charisma. He's got nothing going for him outside the ring. And, and in that time, you needed that outside the ring, and he just simply didn't have it. Like, the one thing I would have done with Billy Gunn is not make him king of the ring and not give him a push, because maybe he would have found his voice. I think, if anything, Billy maybe have been remotely close. I never thought he was remotely close, but maybe he could have been, and he could have developed if you put him with a few people. But instead, they were like, this guy's got a look. He's over, because he's in this popular tag team. Let's push him to the moon. And he was never able to do it. If you look at guys like Adrian Neville and Braun Strowman, to use again, guys who struggle so much on the mic verbally to find their voice and to find their character, and then it's just like something goes off and boom, then they can do it. It's not as if there was a magic moment, someone waved a wand at Neville and he had a particular moment or a particular match or a particular storyline that made him amazing at the mic. It was a personal journey inside mm. to the heart of a northerner I... and he found his voice. Yeah. So Billy Gunn has had a career that spanned like 30 years and he's never found that voice, so don't bother. M maybe, <laughs> maybe if they did something more when the New Age Outlaws broke up, yeah, they didn't. They, like did some, do, like, they barely did anything with it. I, I, they could have made that a much a bigger deal, considering how popular that team was. And he said, they're not a team anymore, and everyone's like, fine. <laughs> Don't forget JR's words, the greatest tag team of all time. Yes. And they just broke up. <laughs> oh, and he needs to take out that fucking earring. <laughs> Two earrings! That's what it is. It's the earring. Hold There's your back. answer. Take the earring out. Right, some more questions. This man up here has had his, his arm up for a year and a half. You mentioned at the beginning of the show that once, twice, three times in a lifetime basically ruined The Rock for you. Mm. Had the angle been done with Stone Cold Steve Austin, do you think it would have worked or would that have ruined Austin for you? If it was the Austin of old... Like the if old it, Stone if it was the old Stone Cold. <laughs> if it was the old Austin and he came back in, I, just, I imagine a lot of people would still be like, oh, he's only coming back to bury the young talent and take a spot. But it would still be entertaining. If he came back as this weird, motivational, like, new version of Stone Cold that's been to Hollywood and back, and he just wants to be there to, like, sort of put your hand out to his hand, like, and feel him... People that... at home, stricken with cancer. <laughs> <laughs> this is for everybody. <laughs> BTA Mondays. <laughs> DTA Mondays. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think it would have worked, because I mean, Austin wouldn't... Like, I felt the whole time I felt it was disingenuous from The Rock, because it felt like he was there to push a brand mm. that was moving on from beyond wrestling, but was going to mm. get a bit of an ale push from it. And I don't know, I kind of feel that like Austin has not come back, because 
I feel like Austin doesn't never, need to. You know, he feels he doesn't need to. And because I mean, I you know I've seen his face on WrestleMania posters, you know, and the, the rumors that were going all through the late you know 2007 to 2010. It felt like there was strong rumors constantly. But he's not going to do it. No. I think if he did it, he wouldn't have done a weird version of it because he's such a perfectionist. He would have made yeah. sure it's like fucking perfect, Steve Austin. Almost, maybe even to a fault. Like yeah. he would have been like, I don't want to come out in a truck. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> If you were, I know from like your Twitter feed and things that you're quite a big fan of the recent UK talent that have been used by WWE, like in Blackpool recently in January. How would you debut them on the main roster if you had to do it in a month? Oh Jesus! Oh. British invasion, like in the in the game, <laughs> oh. led by Regal, heel team coming in, all the Brits. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't put them on the main roster straight away. I, I think what you need to do is bring them in as a group on NXT, let them do some stuff, give them a year, two years, take your time. Like the only one who's got a clock over his head is Trent Seven because he's older than the rest of them. But they're, you know, don't rush Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate for a quick turnaround. We've seen what's happened in NXT when they push people out too quickly. Mm. And just because they're super over and put on great matches, that's not a good enough reason to put someone on the main roster. Wait and see how they get on NXT. Because Tyler Bate is, like, I think, one of the greatest wrestlers in the world right now. He cannot cut a promo on a main roster in WWE, I don't think, no. as they would want it. If he cut a promo the way that he would cut a promo, they would stop pushing him as a result, and that would be the greatest travesty ever. So I think put him on NXT for a year or two and just give him time to develop, you know? Let him use the fucking performance center and find out how to do other things, you know? Yeah, I can't top that. Main <laughs> roster's full. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> Evening, gents. Are you doing? <clears throat> um, you've done a crossover with Wrestling with Great with Brian Zane. Are there any other internet wrestling review shows or just shows in general that you'd like to do a bit with? Probably mm. not. <laughs> yeah, it's to, to, no, that's that's not a diss. No, it's like, not a diss. We, it's... We're both really into like, oh, sorry, all three of us are like really yeah. into se uh, several different wrestling review shows and podcasts and everything. But I don't think it's really in our nature to sort of like do crossovers and skits and that kind of thing. Like, it's yeah. it certainly isn't like in my nature. I'd feel a bit weird about that. I think I kind of like. It's weird because if you were asked me to sit down and kind of like, what makes the podcast work and wh why does it work? And the only thing I can tell you for definite that I know makes it work is the rapport between the three of us. And I kind of think there is an assumption that like, hey, I, w I watch these guys and they've got great rapport and they're funny. Awesome. I like them. And I also watch these guys over here and they also do that. And, da -da -da. and so therefore I think all of them ask they have to work together. I mean... <laughs> we're, we're three very, very different people. And if you pick like literally three strangers and be like, hey, let's do something with you three guys. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it would work as in terms of let's have six people all join together and do a yeah. big clusterfuck of a podcast. Remember in Royal Rumble 2008 when they had six people on commentary? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be no Joey Styles. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I would definitely like to do more things, maybe like video things with like Brian Zane and stuff like that. Mm. I would like to kind of appear in other things, but no one's really asked. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, no one's asked. And, and I think that leads me to believe that a lot of other podcasts and groups kind of probably feel similarly. Yeah. It's like, this I think people have this idea that we're like this huge conglomerate behind the scenes. Like we're, we're, we're all just sub like podcasts of what culture? Like, <laughs> like what culture the big dogs, they trickle down. Yeah. OSW, what culture? A podcast, 
what culture? <laughs> That's why one of them once tweeted to us, goes, one of the best podcasts going. He's not following us, though, so how does he know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think short answer, we'd like to do things, but in what you might assume it to be like in terms of us just joining forces with another random thing, I don't think it would work that way. I wanted to do, like, we're how to wrestling, for instance, I would like to have guest speakers on. Like, I want to have uh, Matthew on to talk about, you know, botches and botchamania. I think that would be a really fun episode. I would like to have, you know, Brian Zane to talk about Jim Cornette, for instance, on how to wrestling. But, yeah, it's kind of like, I, I don't know, I wouldn't ever want to force it. And kind of, no. it'd be awful if we all had to arrange something like that and then it was something that none of us was happy with. Yeah. Like, oh, all we've done is depreciated our own brand. <laughs> <laughs> it was like when I did wrestling, when I did the episode of wrestling with regret, it was Brian just asked me to, he gave me the script and said, can you just film this in your parents' dining room? So I'm, I'm filming it. And then when I, I sent him a couple of takes of it and then it's like, obviously you don't have the flow with it because you you're not speaking to Brian. And then, I realized only after he released the episode that my eyes and eyebrows did like a Mexican wave. <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm, just I'm just talking about punching Mike Tyson. And then I just about the, my eyes just go like a chameleon. And I'm just mortified watching the video. Um, any other questions? I think we have time for one more and then we're gonna have to have a go with some signs, have some prizes and say our goodbyes. Okay, hey guys, um, I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, Jinder's push. Jinder's push. I was a fan at first, it was fun. It's worn off now, bored of it, want something else. I'd like there to be better. I mean, I have no opposition to the matches. I think Jinder carries himself like a total star. Mm. I want them to go further with the gimmick. I kind of wish that, you know, I think half of the point of his push worker was the fact that he won the belt out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, part of me kind of feels like, I wish they spent a little bit more time building up the character. He won the battle like, royale, mate. Yeah. That's all you need. <laughs> but like, I want him to go more over the top. I've said on how to on the pay-per-view reviews on uh, Patreon, I want them to have like, have a whole procession of people, you know, dancing with flowers, do like a big, ridiculous spectacle. Because like, if you look at SummerSlam, when he came out, it was like Shinsuke came out with a big production and then like, Ginger just kind of walked out. Hello. <laughs> so like, I'm not opposed to it because, you know, whoever's the champion probably doesn't really matter that much at the end of the day, particularly on SmackDown, you know, because it's the land of opportunity. I just wish that they kind of spent a bit more time. I want better matches. If they had better matches, I'd have no problem with it. But yeah. generally, I'm all right. Yeah, I can't say anything We can't end on a gender question. <laughs> <laughs> One more. And it can't be about Jinder Mahal. Make it good. <laughs> it's a big one. Ooh. Okay. Would Bret Hart have worked during the Attitude Era? Oh. Yeah, I reckon so. You reckon? I reckon so. I, if, if he could learn to go along with it and not take himself so seriously, yeah. and not whinge not about people knob. talking about cum and prostitution on air, then I what think What would you work. have him as? As a face or a heel? Heel. That old gimmick that he was doing. I would keep yeah, the one he did against that. Austin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that would probably work. Yeah, I mean, Brett's so good, he'd work in any era, wouldn't he? Like, True, so. um, I assume that, because every time... Um, <laughs> I assume that every time I go to a wrestling show or anything like that and people come up to me, all they ask me is, when's there more Cinema Swirl? So it's kind of like, oh, so I'm going to ask about Cinema Swirl now, I'll be able to announce it, but I can announce in case anyone cares, if you don't. <laughs> uh, there is more Cinema Swirl coming. Me and Sam recorded a new episode last week, so... Hey! Hooray! Um, right, we're going to wrap things up now. Let's see some signs up in the air, please. We've got some crates to give out. You two start judging them. I'm going to go get some boxes to hand out. So away I go. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy shit. OK, we... I don't understand some of these. What's this Carol Vorderman one all about? <laughs> Sorry, can, can you bring this to the front, please? Sorry, sir, I need to have a closer look at this. 
Give that man, uh, he's like iron. <laughs> iron. Iron. Yeah, pass him up to the front. Oh my that god. That Kevin Kelly sign. Oh my. Special K. Here you go, brother. That's good. I like that. The brood. Tajiri. Fuck it. That's exactly what Tajiri said. <laughs> I forgot my. I can't see some of these. Oh, there's a there's a two parter up here. Yeah, pass this one out. Kevin. Sorry. Can I just take yeah. this up for him? That's maybe my favourite. For the DDP stalker fans amongst you. <laughs> Give that man a box. <laughs> Give that man a box. Oh, okay. We'll pass okay. his box well, along. That's very then. kind of you. Um, Thank okay. you. Oh, he's already got a box. Let's see. Okay, I like this I think one this here. Kevin okay, Kelly let's pass one. these up. We'll hold them out for people to see. Beware. That's definitely box worth. Take care. Because the signs come out at night. <laughs> box worthy. Um, okay, we got one more. This, I love this tie, Jerry. Oh, got, oh my God, he's got a tie and everything. Okay, yeah, we're yeah. <laughs> tie Okay, got a box there, and we've got some T-shirts as well, which we will toss out thusly. Finn Balor's T-shirt looks alarmingly like our logo, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a deconstructed Celtic version of it. Should never have broken in this business. Uh, okay, let's go. Shirt over there. Seth freaking Rollins. That'll get over. You asked me. <laughs> <laughs> Seth freaking architect Rollins. I have I mean, too many gimmicks. Hardy Boys. Yeah. Hardy 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 just because of how lackluster you said, Jay. I guess. Three pink mugs. How about that? That's lovely. Uh, well, <laughs> that's going to do it for our live show. It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. Me, Adam. And me, Billy. I will see you next time. Thank you so much. You've been fabulous. Thank you for supporting this show. We're going to be out. We're going to be out. If you want to take pictures, say hi. We're going to be out hanging around. Come say hi, guys. We'll be around for a few hours. Goodbye.